You're listening to The Science of Storytelling, presented by Pressboard, a show about marketing, media, and the people making it happen. Your host is Jared Grimm. On today's Science of Storytelling episode, I'm chatting with Marin Jackson, head of premium sales and strategy at Verizon Media. Marin and I are going to chat about how her kids' changing TV habits led her to a career in digital, and what 5G will really mean for industries ranging from agriculture to entertainment and everything in between. If you like this episode, please leave us a comment and let me know what you think. Remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so that you don't miss a single episode. Now, please enjoy the show. Marin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to have you on here for a few reasons. One of them is around just the view or perception of Verizon. You're the head of premium sales and strategy at Verizon Media. And I think for people that aren't in the advertising industry, they probably think of Verizon as a phone company. For sure. But I think Verizon, well, I know Verizon, so I'll I'll tell you my entry point into Verizon Media. I think a lot of people get to know a brand because of one of its properties. And one of the big ones for me, being a tech person, I bet you can imagine what it is, but TechCrunch is an absolute heavyweight in tech journalism. And as a startup, it's one of those ones that you dream of one being one day being covered by. So that was my that's been my entry point into Verizon. But I'd love if you could give us a, an overview of what Verizon media is and how it fits within the Verizon organization. For sure. So Verizon Media is one of the three main business units out of Verizon. So you've got a consumer business, um, you know, your wireless business, you've got a B2B business. So think enterprise. And then we are the brand side. We are a family of about 30 brands. TechCrunch, your favorite being one of them. Um, We've got Yahoo Sports and Yahoo Finance, Autoblog, Huffington Post. There's, again, about 30 different brands that sit under that banner. Um, So I work on our O&O brands, thinking about how do we monetize and get people excited about uh, connecting with those audiences. And let's talk about your role. So head of premium sales and strategy, what falls under premium sales? Think about anything that's professionally produced content. Um, We have a very um, successful DSP and exchange business as well. But ours side of the business is really thinking about the uh, trusted brand, safe, professionally produced. We don't do UGC. Um, We are producing lots of content, both in the video space as well as utility. So if you think about Yahoo Sports, you might come to watch the NFL. We have the only place where you can watch free NFL games unauthenticated, but you also might come to check your scores and you might also come to play fantasy. So we provide both utility and video and editorial under premium. Great. And you've been with Verizon for just under two years now? Yeah, about a year and a half. I came last summer. Interesting. And what was your previous career path? How did you get to Verizon? What led you here along that path? Yeah, well, that's if I go back and think about it. Uh, I started in marketing. I grew up in the marketing space. My first job was uh, in an entertainment marketing company, a real startup. I mean, I literally worked in a woman's living room, uh, did that for a couple of years, pivoted to the agency side for like a nanosecond. And then I ended up at Nickelodeon, which was just at the time such a dream job. Um, I spent, you know, 18 years at Viacom and doing all sorts of things, but grew up in what you would call branded content today and then spent a lot of time with sellers. And the sales team was always said to me, you should get into sales. You'd be really good at this. 
And I thought, well, I'm a marketer. I'm not a seller. Uh, and I took their advice and tried it out. And I did a lot of different roles at Viacom. I headed up our um, new business team. We launched different networks. We worked with consumer products, did branded um consumer products, uh, really ran the gamut. It was an, an extraordinary experience, but you had two little kids at home who weren't watching TV anymore. And I thought, well, I got to pivot to the digital space. And then I landed at Facebook and I spent some time at Facebook. I ran the restaurant category. So responsible for, um, you know, McDonald's and Starbucks and uh, Papa John's and all different kinds of accounts. Uh, and Verizon came along and gave me an opportunity to have a, a wider purview, not just working on one category, but really getting to spread my wings across the whole portfolio. Um, and also got me back into like the pixie dust of entertainment that I liked and working on brands. Facebook doesn't really play in that space. So this was just a great opportunity to try something um, that had my roots, but really staying in digital and understanding the power of data and scale. And, uh, and I landed here. And you know how I find this anyway, every year we feel like it's the biggest change that's ever happened in media. Like right now is the biggest change that's ever happened in history. I'm wondering if over your tenure at Viacom, there was a lot of changes that happened in the media business, in the TV business, mm -hmm. in the advertising business. Have you seen, what were some of the biggest changes are there fundamental shifts that happen in oh, media yeah. over time? And I think that's also what got me to the different places I am in my career was um, sort of career planning against those changes and under, and it's not fighting them, but then sort of riding the wave. But the biggest change in television was just the the viewers and cord cutting. Um, and if you built your business as as Viacom and all the you know legacy cable companies do on a, on two legs of a stool, one is ad sales and the other is the affiliate revenue that's coming in from, you know, the uh, cable operators. Well, that business is eroding and you can see the future of streaming coming in and how that's changing the business. Um, so again, career planning against that, because that's a really heavy uh, pivot for a company the size of a Viacom, or, or you'll see the consolidations that are happening where people are trying to uh, protect themselves from that change. Um, you know, AT&T and Time Warner, Disney and Fox. I mean, it, those consolidations are happening because those business models won't sustain the future of technology. Yeah. And I've always found that there's some of the larger companies are able to make these massive shifts. So if we take a look at streaming, uh, NBC might be able to make that play. Uh, Warner with HBO might be able to make that play, but not everybody can move from uh, a linear to then providing entire streaming subscription service. Those are massive changes massive. to an industry. Do you see that there is some strength in size uh, I being a larger company? I think the strength is in size. And again, that's why you're going to see that consolidation continue to happen um, because you can't go it alone. So someone like uh, Verizon looking at content, so purchasing Yahoo, purchasing AOL brought all this content. It also bought um, an ad business that they weren't in. So that was like a way to look at new lines of business. Um, you saw the same thing happen with uh, Time Warner and AT&T. They didn't necessarily have the content piece of the puzzle, so you bring in content. But you can't go it alone. And that's what I think you'll see um, from the legacy uh, media companies. Yeah, there seems to be this midsize that, that has the biggest trouble. You're either super small, you're scrappy, your costs are incredibly low so that you can pivot, you can almost pivot your entire business to something new, or you're large enough to be able to make big bets, 
possibly do acquisitions in that in that as well and have the scale to be able to really move the needle. I've noticed this around a lot of media companies is that middle is probably the part that has that that area has the most stress on it. You don't quite have the size to be able to make these big bets or big acquisitions, but you're still maybe too large to pivot your entire business in a short period of time. So I can see how, you know, the scale of a Verizon helps you be able to move into these new areas uh, and actually lead into these new areas as well. Sure. Or you're, or you're building a business on the back of social, which is like a tricky place to be because someone could change their um, algorithms and you're out of luck. Um, those companies really don't have to invest in content like some other media companies do because so much of it is UGC. Uh, you run the risk of brand safety and that's where you th- you see advertisers who are reluctant to get into that space because, um, you know, you could be running adjacent to an ISIS video and let me tell you, P&G doesn't want to do that. Yeah, I know there was there was a lot of talk about this over the last couple of years. The power of social is that you're you get to work with these influencers and these micro influencers, but the problem is is people are valuable. And if you follow what's the saying, if you follow someone around long enough, you're going to see them break the law in one way or another. <laughs> uh, and that's a, I think that the challenge, especially I, I've noticed a lot on some of the social networks like TikTok, where you're really talking about 15 year olds. I'm just picturing myself trying to support a brand when I was 15. Uh, <laughs> That doesn't, that doesn't look like it ends well, but it's really interesting. And I want to talk a little bit about Riot. So mm-hmm. Riot is the branded content studio, and I'll let you explain how Riot fits within the Verizon organization. Sure. Well, Riot is our next-gen content studio. Um, I think the value prop that we bring to Riot is that we are data first. So the same data that informs our DSP and our ad targeting is the same data that we use for our inputs to come up with great content and storytelling. So we sit on the the crossroads of data, um, 30 trusted brands. So again, we were talking about, you know, the, the pitfalls of UGC. We have professionally produced content and we ladder up to, again, trusted brands. We have scale, you know, we have 900 million users every month. So that's a big contribution so that our content is both seen and heard. And the last bit is this next gen future storytelling and being part of Verizon. We sit uh, at the table with uh, engineers and technologists who are working on 5G and we're figuring out how to use that technology to drive storytelling. Yeah, 5G has been talked about a lot and I'll self-admit that I'm not 100% clear on what 5G, I mean, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's fifth generation, but that yep. doesn't that doesn't say much more than it's the next thing after the previous generation. So I, there's a lot of myths, there's a lot of gossip or discussion. Can you explain to us what 5G is? And then we'll talk about how that applies to storytelling. Well, in the simplest term, it's a new network that, that Verizon is building. And that network is going to allow massive data flow into the world. And you shouldn't think of 5G as just like, oh, great, my movie's going to download a lot faster. 5G really will change entertainment, education, uh, agriculture, transportation, city planning. I mean, it is just a huge infrastructure and a heavy lift that Verizon is making so we can bring data faster, quicker, with less latency to the market. And that can translate into storytelling, like what I do. It can translate into how to find a parking spot. 
It could translate to uh, saving lives at the beach because if uh, lifeguards are notified by 5G drones that someone's drowning in the water, they can jump in the water quicker and save them. So it, it is a huge, huge um you know, technology revolution that we're coming. And you should also think of 5G as a way that we are going to be a post-smartphone world. So everyone will actually lift their heads up and connect with one another again. That technology should disappear. The technology is part of everything. So you've heard of the Internet of Things and the connecting of devices. That's what 5G will allow different devices to talk to each other quicker, faster, without latency. I mean, the reason we don't have autonomous cars all on the road right now is because 5G is not here at scale. And uh, latency matters when you're driving a car. Yeah. I, I think of it sometimes as, you know, the pipe has just gotten exponentially larger as far as I remember, if you think about video, when video video first came to smartphones, it would just sit there, you'd have that spinning wheel on there. Yes. <laughs> and now it, it's amazing how quickly expectations change. I would say now if, if a video takes more than a second to load, I'm it's like this very entitled self where I just can't believe it. How did this take, you know, two seconds to load? And all we're talking about in this case is a video. We're not talking about consuming massive amounts of data, let's say, you know, drones over an ocean to be able to see what differences are happening or, or cars that are driving themselves and need to understand their surroundings in real time. It's a, a large shift. And I can imagine that the infrastructure required to be able to make that reach every single person is is quite monumental is that is this something that rolls out over time or is it we're 4g we're 4g and then you know one tuesday at noon we're all 5g 4g is going to be around for a long time like nobody's those those ugly you know uh towers that you drive by on the highway are not going anywhere anytime soon. So we will still live in a 4G world, but 5G will roll out uh, in stages. Right now we're in 33 different cities. Uh, we have 33 different um, uh, 5G cities. That will continue for probably another 18 months. I would say by 18 months, we're going to have a pretty good selection of devices. 13 new 5G devices are being launched this year. Um, so right now it won't just be Samsung devices you can buy. And I would say, you know, in three to four years, we're at scale. So that's a transition, but it'll happen. But 4G still doesn't go away. We also need a global um, network so that if you travel to France, your 5G phone works. Um, that happens now on 4G and that has to happen too. So this is a heavy infrastructure lift uh, across the country, across the world. But it will be here and it will be pretty mind-blowing when it is. I imagine being a part of Ryzen, one of the big advantages is you get to see that roadmap a little closer. A lot of planning around brand storytelling happens months, if not years in advance. Mm -hmm. And so you might be planning something today, but it's going to launch next year and it's going to be a three-year program. So does that give you a crystal ball of sorts into the future? Or is it also just the proximity to this type of technology that makes Riot Studios think differently? Well, I would say what we want to do is uh, challenge our clients to say, think about what it's going to be like in the future. So if I tell you 18 months, don't sit around for 18 months. Let's experiment. Let's play. We have the only 5G production studio in the country uh, out in LA where we're inviting our clients to come in and experiment and try things. Um, because if you sit it out and wait, there will be a light switch moment and you'll be you know, left out. So we're saying, let's play with mocap. Let's play with volumetrics, facial recognition. Um, 
That's the technical part of it, but then you've got to weave in the story part. So the beauty of 5G is that we can create stories of empathy. So what it's like to walk in someone's shoes. Um, We're playing around with now with different content on our publishers. So last summer, uh, Huffington Post did a story on the 50th anniversary of Stonewall. If you don't know Stonewall, that is a gay bar in the West Village. And cops used to come in and harass the patrons. And one day, they just had enough and three days of riot ensued in New York City and it was the birth of the gay rights movement. Well, we created an AR experience where you could go back 50 years, see the point of view of the cops, see the point of view of the patrons, tour the bar and really create empathy and create a dialogue between two different groups so you could have a different perspective. That's the beauty of storytelling in a much different way. We did, we've done AR experiences with man landing on the moon or uh, what's it like to be a migrant going through the border crossing? Um, What's Miami going to be like in 50 years when we potentially could be underwater? That's the the way we're using 5G to storytell. And empathy is a real um, line that we see as a place to um, differentiate what we can do with this technology. We'll be back to the episode in just a few seconds. But first, we have some exciting news for you. At Pressboard, we love stories, but we know how hard it can be to measure them. So we're here to help, whether it's a sponsored article on a news site, an Instagram post from an influencer, or a video on YouTube. Our tech measures it all. Pressboard is already trusted by Spotify, Intel, NBC Universal, Hearst, and thousands more. And here's the big news. Listeners of the podcast can try out the Pressboard platform platform for free. Just email info at pressboardmedia.com right now. All right, let's get back to the show. We've been looking at AR and VR for the past, let's say, five years or so. Sure. Actually, you know, I've seen, I've been to conferences where Riot, even two or three years ago, was talking about VR and AR and how it could be applied there. I'm, I'm wondering if as 5G rolls out, that just makes it accessible to everybody and helps maybe some of these issues with adoption to date. Because the the technology is so exciting and the idea of being able to feel what it's like to be on the moon, I think everyone can get really inspired by that idea. But how does that roll out into, you know, not just us in the marketing industry, but my sister? Who, right. and her husband who works at a university. How does that apply to them? Because I, I have these conversations with my family. I'm not 100% sure that my family still knows what I do for a job, but uh, we'll put that aside for a second. And I'm talking about these ideas. You know, we could go and you could do travel without leaving your house. Mm-hmm. You could go on a vacation and experience another culture. And a lot of people will say, oh yeah, that sounds cool. But they look at me like it's a Back to the Future episode. And I, I'm hoping that 5G, as it rolls out, just makes that a more commonplace experience. What are your thoughts? Well, I agree, because some of the challenges we have even is that there's just not enough content out there. So a consumer may not be comfortable using AR, and everyone can use AR. That's today. You just need a camera on your phone. But if you don't, if the use case isn't there. If we haven't created enough content out there, there's not there's too much of a heavy lift for a consumer to use it because they don't know how to. So um, one example is... Uh, a use case is fan experiences. We just had the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago and 5G is being rolled out at all the NFL stadiums. So if you were lucky enough to be at the Super Bowl this year in Miami and you had a 5G device, you could actually watch the Super Bowl through your phone in a much different way because let's say you didn't have great mm-hmm. seats. This will allow you to see every angle in the stadium, what's going on uh, with the coaches, um, 
link up to any player stats, link that to your fantasy game, see where the shortest bathroom line is, where'd you park your car? Like we're creating these experiences. And again, the more you do it, the more you get people comfortable with it, it will become more pervasive. So you won't get like, what's AR from your brother-in-law anymore? Because that will be out in the marketplace. And as Verizon Media, we want to invest in those kind of formats because we want people to get more comfortable and we think we have a competitive advantage in the market. Yeah. Fantasy sports is something I that I believe Verizon's pretty well known for around Yahoo Sports. Sure. And I think there's going to be some really interesting applications. I have friends who are in fantasy pools and and it's intense. They're more they're bigger fans of their fantasy team than they are of an NFL team. Like because they they're more committed. They spend years on building a lot of her, of keeper pools where they you keep players and you're drafting players. It's really interesting to see. I know that you've run campaigns that are connected to that fantasy sports fantasy leagues. Can you talk about the USAA campaign? Yeah, sure. Um, USAA is an interesting one. As I said at the top, um, you know, everything we do is really driven by data. We get really smart. We find out like what's the consumer need. Um, what is we use a lot of first party and third party uh, as well as proprietary tools that get us really smart. Um, but the client always comes back first with a challenge, like here's my challenge. And then we again, we use these data endpoints to find out what's the connective tissue. And what the connective tissue for us, for USAA, is that a lot of military and veterans connect through family while they're away or being deployed through fantasy sports. We're like, wow, that's a really interesting insight. How do we create a campaign that would connect the dots there? And we came up with something called Dynasty League, which is a series that highlights veterans and military families who found a sense of community and fulfillment through fantasy football. And just like you said, you're seeing that with your friends. So you can imagine if you're deployed overseas or um, you don't get to see your friends and your buddies, this is a great way to connect. So we've created a whole series based on fantasy sports for this community. I can see that connection happening because I feel like it's possible I've even lost friends because I'm not in a fantasy <laughs> pool and you only have time for so many people in your life. And I've been just moved to a secondary list of non-fantasy league members. I found the campaign, that Dynasty League campaign, interesting. One thing I, I like to ask is, why Riot? Why Verizon? There's a lot of options. You're a brand. There's a lot of different ways you can tell your story. There's a lot of companies out there that are more than willing to be able to take on that task. Is there, in this case, there's a, a really strong connection with one of the Verizon properties, which is Yahoo Sports that connection with fantasy already existing, it already being a part of the audience, it already being a place to go. And there's a nice connection there that you can build a story on top of. Is that one of the big reasons that USAA came to Verizon for this campaign? Yeah, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, skepticism and mistrust that is in our culture right now, right? We don't trust our our leaders, we don't trust our government, we don't trust that the elections are going to be safe. Like so when you look at brands, you're looking to ladder up to to a place that of trust. And fantasy has been around for 21 years. People know it and love it and there's a brand affinity for it. So that's like let's just ground ourselves there. Um the second is that consumers are looking to brands to really take positions in the marketplace that maybe our governments can't. So when you marry to a trusted brand and uh, two trusted brands in this case, it really makes sense and they can connect. So then we go back to like, well, what do we know about 
this and what do we know about that? How do we use those, you know, massive data that we sit on? How do we understand what are the consumer trends? What are the cultural trends? Um, we want to understand people and content, and then we come up with good ideas. There's really not just throwing spitballs against a wall. Like we are very data first, data driven idea company. And then you've got scale. So we've got lots of places to market the content once we've got it. Measurement. So we're not just playing in upper funnel metri- metrics. Yes, I think uh, branded content gets put in the upper funnel and doesn't show lower funnel metrics, but we do because we connect it through our search, through uh, search data, and we know a lift analysis. And then we also know through our email what actually drove purchase intent. So we drive people all the way through the funnel. Measurement's incredibly important. Um, And then I would say just immersive content and the way we tell stories is unique. So I would say that's what makes Riot different. Yeah. I've, I think one of the biggest positive changes for branded content is this idea of driving business results. So you look back a few years and this was, you know, these were sometimes awards pieces. It was, okay, we're going to run 99% of our media plan using traditional tactics of some sort. And let's do something super fancy over here that everyone can get really excited about, uh, but not necessarily attach any direct correlation to business goals. And I've seen more and more that campaigns are looking to not only fulfill this idea of big awareness and big reach, but also being able to say, did this move the needle as far as our sales went? Uh, And that's the only way I see something being sustainable over time. And I've seen that quite a bit over the last, I would say over the last two years. Have you noticed brands being more interested in those lower funnel metrics as well? For sure. And I don't think they'll come back for, you know, season two if you don't show those. Um, I think it's really hard for brands. It's harder for agencies to drive ROI and they're not going to put dollars to experiential uh, testing or uh, branded content unless it works and it's got to work. And that's on us. That's on us to make sure that we are iterating, we're testing and learning, we're figuring out, oh, if the content's not performing here, where else can we play with it? Um, Do we build it into uh, editorial? Um, Think about different formats, like we don't just play in video or editorial, like what's going to work best? And we've got to work it. Like we're not, these budgets don't just land on our laps. We got to work for them. Yeah, and do you find that, is there scale? The the big downfall or, or question about branded content is whether or not it can scale. So you're yeah. running these large programs, they're, they're resource intensive. Is there the ability to scale something like branded content or will it always be high resource, possibly low margin business? I mean, we're sit again, we have a luxury because we sit in editorial already. So we know that people come to us intentionally. The difference, if you look at our portfolio of brands and what I think is unique to us is, you know, uh, the way people find and consume content, there, there's a couple ways to do it. One is this like feed-based environment where you're just like playing Russian roulette with your content and hoping somebody um, stops on what you're looking at. We used to call it the two-second audition at Facebook. The way we perform is we're intentional content. People come to us purposefully. If you think about our portfolio, you may wake up in the morning and the first thing you do is check Yahoo Mail. That's intentional. I'm doing it purposefully. The next thing I may do is check my Yahoo Weather app, again, intentionally. And then I may go through my day and I may check out my scores on on 
uh, Yahoo Sports. I may go check out my stocks on Yahoo Finance or see how the markets are performing. We do eight hours of live coverage on the markets every day. So my point is people lean into our content. It's intentional. It's not this like hope that they stop. And so we are programming our branded content in those spaces where we know people are coming every day to get their utility fix on the passion point they love. So when we talk scale, we know we have scale through our publishers and we are integrating content in those places where we know people are going to see it um, and it'll move. Does that allow you? I love that you were at Facebook. So, you know, you know, Facebook better than most by working there. A lot of publishers made a really big bet on Facebook specifically over the last few years in that scale wasn't required. You didn't really need people to come to your site. You could just go out and buy audience on Facebook or, or use a Facebook algorithm. Was one of the attractions of Verizon this idea that the owned and operated could support themselves without full reliance on a social network? Yeah, I mean, that is part of it. Like you're sort of the uh, you're creating your own destiny without without if you're building your business on the back of social, like you're at the mercy and they could change their, like I said, they could change their algorithm tomorrow and you're out of luck. So we don't have that challenge. I mean, we we amplify, you know, any campaign we do, we do amplify on social because you've got to be in that space. Uh, but it's not the crux of where you would find discovery. Um, and we're getting better and better at figuring out the best places for discovery, uh, the way people come into our brands and how they socialize around their brands. Like coming in, you know, a third of Americans are still using a Yahoo and AOL accounts, email mm. accounts. So that's a great portal into our business. How can we use mail and homepage as a place and a portal to get people to see the content? That is a massive number. That's, yeah, it is massive. It's uh, And it's one that probably people don't realize, but people, you know, you set up an email account and Yahoo and AOL were, were the beginning of that phase. And usually you'll keep your email address for decades. Well, it's now, like it, now it'll be decades. I mean, think about, ch it's like changing your social security number. Like what yeah. a, what a heavy lift. So we have lots of people who still have those accounts and, um, and new people coming into, we just relaunched our, our mail product and it's, it's all about deals and shopping. And we know again, through data and insights, how people want to, um, how they want to organize their mail, how they want to navigate, how they want information and how they want deals. Uh, e-com is a growing, growing sector of our business. Um, and that is a great entry point for branded content because we know people are coming every day, multiple times a day. Does that also give you this idea of, you know, Facebook and Google being walled gardens is sometimes seen as a negative. But I mean, if you're working at Google or Facebook, those are huge positives. This idea that you have a logged in experience. I've never thought of this, but Verizon likely has a, a large section that are also of their audience that are also in a logged in environment at a lot of times. It's a huge piece of our business, and it's going to be more important as we look at the future of CCPA and ITP and a cookie-less world. Um, the players that will do well in that environment are going to be a logged-in a logged in publisher or a platform. Um, everyone else, it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. What do you think the future of media looks like in a cookie-less world, in a, you know, where there's only a few places that you're logged in at any given time? What does the future of advertising media look like? That's a, that's a fundamental shift in the way that we've, you know, done programmatic business or, or anything along those lines to date. It's going to, I think in, in my world, context will matter more than ever. Contextual targeting will matter more than ever. Uh, the pendulum swung so far the other way with programmatic. And I think it'll have to swing back a little bit more because that is going to be more important. So brand 
um, what you stand for, uh, your editorial, professionally produced content, all that will matter more and more. And I think you'll see consolidation because if you don't sit on first party data, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen to the ad tech business. Uh, Verizon plays in the ad tech, owns its own ad tech as well. But there's a lot of third party ad tech solutions out there that are based primarily on cookie and, and third party data. I wonder if we're going to see, I think we've seen a bit of a, a calling of ad tech companies that that maybe didn't have any proprietary data or offering. Do you see that to continue as well? I think it's going to be harder for them to play in that space. Um, I think uh, over the top will help a little bit uh, for some of the players, but I think it's going to be hard and you'll either see them get out of the business or you'll see them, you know, merge with somebody else. But, you know, if all the riches go back to the wall garden, I don't think the marketplace is, wants that. I think the marketplace is looking for alternatives and they want Verizon to win um, and they want us to be a, a player. And I think, again, because we are logged in, we're in a much better place than most. Super interesting. Uh, what does the future of Riot look like net once 5G launches? Is there is that a significant enough differentiator because there's a lot of studios out there. There's a lot yeah. of branded content studios. There's for good reason. I mean, it's a branded content has become a large part of business for a lot of publishers. How will Riot continue to differentiate in the future? I think for us, again, it's it's pivoting to the next gen storytelling and how we use technology to tell stories. Um, that is, we are so ahead of the game on that. We are years ahead of everyone else. Uh, and again, because we have this 5G playground, we are playing with formats and storytelling in ways that I think uh, are pretty exciting. So for me, I am pivoting there. I think that's the that's the, the the sparkle. But we are doing you know work today that does not require 5G. We're doing work today that drives. Um, you know, business outcomes for partners. And that's just an exciting place to be an exciting yeah. time in the company. I'm a, I'm a hockey fan. And I grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which is where Wayne Gretzky was from. And there's this Wayne Gretzky saying, which is uh, skate where the puck is going, not where the puck already is. <laughs> and I think that applies very, I use a Wayne Gretzky quote, anytime I have the opportunity. So this one just felt like it was, it was right in there for it. Well, who doesn't love Wayne Gretzky? Exactly. How can you not? Um, this is really interesting. I, I find it interesting, the involvement of 5G, which is going to make a big difference, not just for the branded content industry or the marketing industry, but this is something that's going to affect everybody, uh, not only in North America, but international markets as well. And I'm excited to see how Riot will, will follow that along. So I appreciate you giving us some insight, not only into Riot, but into Verizon as a whole. Before I, before I let you go, we do a book club and a movie club at press board. And I always like to get a recommendation from our guests. So do you have a favorite book or a favorite movie that you could recommend? Well, I'm a voracious reader, so that's going to be hard. But I can tell you the last great book I read was called Say Nothing. Uh, came out, I think, last summer. Um, it is a true story. I read a, mostly nonfiction. Um, a woman uh, she, living in Northern Ireland, she was a widow mom of 10, and she was kidnapped by the IRA. So it's part murder mystery, discovering like the story, and then just a history of the IRA. It's beyond fascinating. You cannot put it down. It's, it's amazing. It's called Say Nothing. Say nothing. That sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I think our listeners are going to love not only hearing your story, but understanding a little bit more about what this whole 5G thing is that will be coming over the next, is already coming into place and will be bigger and bigger over the next few years. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we demystified a little bit of uh, the 5G narrative. We definitely did. Thanks. Thank you.
Thank you so much for tuning into the Science of Storytelling. Don't forget to leave us a comment. We love hearing from you. We have a ton more episodes coming up this season with some absolutely amazing guests. So make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single one. See you next time.